0: Okay so um, welcome to uh, another in the series of Idea Collider, the pharmaceutical book club um, where we're uh, fortunate enough to get the chance to talk with the authors of some of my favorite books that uh, have clear direct links to the pharmaceutical industry and uh, one of the more uh, unputdownable books uh, that I've uh, that I've read recently was um, the 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 investigation by Catherine Eban into the um, generic uh, drug space, um, and I can only do a very bad job in summarizing just how readable it is with with its story of things that you do not know about the generic drug space, but also the heroes. Uh, both at those companies and at the FDA and uh, other protectors of our uh, of our health. So um, this was a book that I was recommended in, in no uncertain terms by several folks. Uh, I picked it up straight away and and, and read it straight away. Um, so uh, I'm delighted to welcome Catherine to uh, this this podcast. So um, Catherine. Maybe uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, for those folks who haven't read the book yet, uh, what led you to write it and uh, and what was your journey to to, to our world?
1: Uh, Well, Mike, thanks so much for having me on. It's really a pleasure to spend some time talking with you about Bottle of Lies. Um, So I've been an investigative journalist for almost two decades and I've reported on public health, pharmaceuticals, uh, national security issues, and in 2008, I was contacted by a radio show host named Joe Graydon, who has a NPR program called the People's Pharmacy, Um, and he said that his program was being inundated with calls and emails from patients who were having symptoms related to their generic drugs. Uh, The drugs didn't seem to be effective. They were not feeling good taking them. Um, Graydon, who was a pharmacologist by training, was concerned enough that he took those complaints to the FDA. And the answer that he got back was, well, it's probably psychosomatic. uh, Because if they go to a pharmacy and they get switched from brand to generic, then the pills look different and that triggers some sort of psychological response. Yeah. Um, but Graydon didn't buy that. So he contacted me because I'd been on his program before talking about my work. And he said, uh, you know, somebody with investigative firepower should look into this. And that is where my reporting began. And, you know, what I didn't know at the time is that it was going to be a decade long odyssey of reporting all over the globe for me to try to answer the simple question that he posed, or it seemed simple at the time, what what is wrong with the drugs?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that question that he posed, you know, you, you write about this in the book, this was a kind of general creeping suspicion rather than an absolute certainty and certainly a bunch of assumptions which you kind of unpack in the book about the difference between you know, what we assume goes on in that industry and uh, and the kind of reality.
1: Right. And, you know, I would say for starters, um, one very clear assumption that we have is that the FDA is adequately regulating the manufacturers of generic drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, they say that they have a system um, to regulate the entire drug supply, but You know, the issue that I ended up looking into is the fact that the majority of our generic drugs are manufactured overseas in remote plants in India and China. And the FDA has had to cobble together a system to inspect those plants. And what I uncovered was endemic fraud in the overseas plants that we have become increasingly reliant on to make our generic drugs.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think you have a quote uh, percentage in the book, which is is it 40% of our generic drugs are manufactured in India. 80% of the active ingredients come from, you know, particularly China and India. Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean that that's right. So the, the you know what. For consumers, what that means is that if you go to a pharmacy and you fill a prescription, first of all, you're almost certain to get a generic because 90% of our drug supply is generic. And you're also almost certain to get a drug uh, or very likely to get a drug that was manufactured overseas. Um, So that's the reality. Um, And of course, on paper, there is no difference between how the FDA regulates domestic plants and overseas plants. But in fact, you know, there is a hidden world of differences and uh, an entire architecture of fraud in these plants and ways that they circumvent the FDA's inspection system. Um, yeah. And so the book tells the story of, you know, individuals from a whistleblower to an FDA investigator who, you know, are trying to expose this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that story was, you know, a wonderful way to, to weave together those disparate strands of, um, you know, the assumptions that we all have, that the same rules apply wherever the drug is made. hmm. Uh, and uh, that, that when we're taking it, we can rely on someone having checked it. But mm-hmm. you know, if you so, you know, if you were to summarise the book, clearly neither of those things would be true from the way that you've told that story.
1: Mhm, that's right.
0: Um, so if we start maybe from the end of, of the book, I mean, you you pull in the fact that you know recently we saw the the news about valsartan coming from uh, coming from China, you know, and the awareness of, you know, carcinogens within that w- within that mix. I bet you were the least surprised person on the, you <laughs> know, in, in, the, in the United States when you heard that news.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, first of all, because you know, I had in my files uh, the inspection record of the FDA going into that plant, Zhejiang um, Huahai, and. The FDA's own investigator found that the plant was failing to investigate its own impurity spikes in its drug, and the investigator recommended that the inspection be official action indicated. So what that means is this is really serious, and the plant has to fix this right away. And the FDA, which has taken a strikingly more relaxed uh, view of these things, Uh, basically downgraded that recommended sanction to voluntary action indicated, which essentially means fix it, but fix it when you want. Mm -hmm. Um, And meanwhile, you know, this plant was pumping out active ingredient that contained carcinogen, uh, NDMA, which is found uh, in the production of liquid rocket fuel. And American consumers were taking this drug, Um, you know, and, and partly this highlights Another really, I think, surprising thing about our drug supply, which is that the FDA does not have a randomized, systematic testing regimen for drugs on the market. You know, we're really not testing drugs to see what's in them. So the FDA has a kind of honor-based system uh, in which it's reviewing data from the companies, And then when it goes to plants overseas, it's announcing its inspections in advance. So it's giving plants several months to fabricate data, shred documents, uh, clean up lizard and snake infestations. Um, And so the resulting inspections are essentially staged. And that is really in sharp contrast to the inspections it does domestically where its investigators show up unannounced. So, you know, what what my reporting really exposed for me is that as we have come to accept a global drug supply, the very fact of that means that there are many other things competing for safety issues, so like d- diplomatic considerations. Are we going to piss this country's government off? You know, is that why we need to let the plants know in advance that we're coming? Um, and we've really given up uh, a lot of safety in order to accommodate a global drug supply.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, and there's some wonderful qu- quotes in the book of it. Was that you know we've basically volunteered to be fooled by announcing these inspections <laughs> in advance. Yes. So- um, but the, that kind of slow understanding that the assumptions that we have about the way that uh, drugs get to uh, patients all were stripped away as, as people started to realize the truth of what was happening. And this kind of honor-based system was,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, you know, being abused by, you know, most of the players involved that, um, you know, that 10-year that journey. I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, the FDA files. I can only imagine how much research went into this.
1: You know, when, after that initial tip from Joe Graydon, and I started um, finding patients and talking to doctors, and it was pretty clear right away that there was a real problem. I mean, patients who had been stabilized on brand name drugs became unstable when they were switched. You know, doctors, especially ones where um, where precise dosing is very important in the drugs that they prescribe, like endocrinologists or neurologists, they were having problems. but you know what was at a certain moment, I realized, wow, if I really want to understand not just that something is wrong, but what is it that is wrong? Mm-hmm. I would need a way to Penetrate these foreign companies, these foreign manufacturing plants making our drugs. And, you know, I just remember the moment where I was wondering to myself, well, how am I going to do that? You know, I'm an investigative journalist based in New York and I don't have sources in India. I've never done global reporting and I had to figure out how to do that. So the reporting ended up taking me about 10 years.
0: of partners and willing uh you know support from folks like the FDA was that true
1: sorry say your question again would
0: uh, i i guess i would have expected at that point that you turn to the FDA and say oh and they would say yeah we're really interested <laughs> in this too can you, can, you know, we'd love to help ah. you out
1: uh, well, you know, it's a cardinal rule of investigative reporting that you don't turn to the people you're trying to get information out of necessarily for help or collaboration. I mean, what I really, you know, the FDA had made its position clear that its inspection system was adequate. But what I wanted to know was, was that true? And, you know, one of the things that I ended up figuring out is what was going on in India? Um, where you know there were all of these plants where that had been cited for violations of data integrity well what was that it's basically you have to make sure that your data your manufacturing and quality data is unchanged unaltered preserved and presented to regulators Um, but in fact the fda's own investigators going into these plants had figured out that a number of them were operating these hidden manufacturing systems where they were pre-testing the drugs to figure out whether they would fail specifications or not. And then they'd figured out how to alter the tests so that they would fall within parameters. And once they did that, they would move it to a computer system that the FDA would look at. Um, you know, And I was able to figure that out, and tell the story of one of those investigators, Peter Baker. Uh, And over the course of about four years inspecting plants in India and China, he found some element of data fraud in about four-fifths of them.
0: Right. And you alluded to the fact that uh, the FDA had essentially downgraded some of those risks or risk reports in order to continued to receive drugs from those companies that 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 was surprising that maybe talks to this kind of political agenda or or something else that you mentioned um that was that also is surprising is that the be interested in taking a report that was uh uh you know negative and making it less negative uh for the sake of expediency
1: right so you know one question is why would the fda do that um, wouldn't wouldn't, you would think the FDA would want to know what is going on in these plants, but there's a problem, which is the FDA is intent on showing numbers to Congress the number of generic drugs that they've approved. Um, that is their big selling point, right? Because they are doing their part to get cheaper drugs onto the market. So if they find out that there's all these problems in these plants, and they have to sanction those plants, essentially, it takes them offline, they can't approve more drugs from those plants, and it hurts their numbers. So basically, I'm like, wow, there is this real numbers game. There's this narrative that the FDA has, um, about how it's all safe, and it's all the same. Um, You know, the indian pharmaceutical industry for example is celebrated in india it's one of the huge export success stories but what is the truth here and you know i learned about this concept called jugad which is basically a sort of indian skill it's a hindi word that they use to describe the ability to um, reach the desired goal by whatever means possible and it's sort of the art of the shortcut and so a lot of these plants had figured out how to create a kind of appearance of following good manufacturing practices whereas in reality they are subverting these rules and finding a way to approve and sell drugs that don't actually meet quality specifications And, you know, while that may sound sort of dry, I think the book really lays out the the very real hazard for patients.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe let's go all the way back up to the kind of top of um, of why it's not dry. And certainly for folks listening to this, you know, the difference clearly between a molecule and a medicine uh, or Mm -hmm. a finished product. You know, again, you know, coming from the innovator originator space, the assumption is that generics are exactly the same. But, you know, as you point out right at the beginning, that's also a flawed assumption.
1: Right. So, you know, people somehow imagine generic drug manufacturing as the result of some peaceful transfer of intellectual property. You know, yep. the the brand name goes off patent. They hand over their recipe to a generic manufacturer, which then makes it and it's less expensive. But in fact, you know, the the brand companies are trying to hold on to their patents as long as possible. The generic companies are trying to challenge those patents in court. And they're going into laboratories and trying to reverse engineer the drugs to yeah. try to figure out how can we make these drugs um, similar but through different processes, the molecule has to be the same. But the result is, you know, they're using different excipients. Um, the The bioequivalence may be somewhat different. And in fact, the FDA gives generics companies a sizable range that they can sort of fall into to to make the drugs clinically or bioequivalent. Um, uh, but but the real the real driver of fraud is the rush to market. So that these comp- the generic companies want to get what is called first to file. And if they're first through the door, they get approval from the FDA before their competitors and they can get six months of exclusivity on the market before other generics come, come in. So this is where the big money lies. And um, in order to hit that deadline and be first, companies are basically inventing manufacturing data. Submitting this invented data to the FDA, which of course is reviewing the data but not testing the drugs. Then they're giving these plants months of advance notice before they do a pre-approval inspection. The plants are sending in data fabrication teams to alter data. Um, and, uh, And the result is that American consumers are getting drugs that may not be bioequivalent at all that may have toxic contaminants like the ndma carcinogen in the Valcertin. that uh, may have metal or uh, glass particulate matter in it Uh, so you know and but but everybody is intent on their narratives Uh, and so none of that was getting exposed
0: yeah and and, you know this you know, again, the the thing maybe the thing that was maybe most shocking to me was all of this is recent. It wasn't. We're not talking about the 1930s or 40s. We're <laughs> we're, we're we're talking about the last 10, 15 years. And um, but you know that uh, drive to be first to file, I guess, was part of a perverse incentive that was created with the the the, the first act to try to bring generics to the to the marketplace.
1: Right. And, you know, so on one level, generics have been a success story because we've got lower priced drugs that are essential in a system where there's very little regulation of pricing, uh, you know, but on the other hand, at what cost? And there is a cost because there's a quality difference, um, you know, so that and and basically I, you know, I had to get corporate records internal emails from inside these companies uh, and documentation which proved that from the executive suites of these companies, they were committing data fraud. Mm -hmm. You know, this wasn't an issue of some bench scientist somewhere, you know, switching around test results. This was a systematic effort to maximize profit by, you know, getting the biggest market share as quickly as possible and doing whatever it took to do that
0: yeah and that is the um so this this kind of first to file stuff uh, you know if you had said that there were occasional mistakes and uh, that wouldn't have been a surprise if you'd said that um you, you know first to file had produced odd behaviors you know, again, we'd still assume that these were good actors doing, you know, occasional bad things. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's some corruption. And you you mentioned, you know, payments to FDA officials, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in in, in those early days. But maybe more surprising is that systematic endemic, you you know, fraud um, that I don't think we're aware of. And and that clearly is the kind of the, the whole point of the book, which is this is hidden. This is deliberate,
1: um, mm-hmm.
0: and, and it's deliberate for a reason, which is, that I think you say in the book, they could be making perfect medicines, but they choose not to.
1: Right, and that is actually, um, you know, I, I describe um, the uh, FDA's director of the India office, so this was an office that the FDA had opened up in Delhi and in Mumbai, uh, to try to sort of better police the drugs being made there for the U.S. market. And this the director of their India office, Altaf Law, shows up in basically 2013, and he sends a memo back to officials, in FDA officials in Maryland, and he is like, there is syst- systematic fraud here, and the companies have figured out how to game our regulatory system. And they understand they're going to get advanced notice of inspections, uh, which they can use to basically stage what we're seeing. Um, So it was on the basis of that, that he got permission to run a pilot project, which lasted for about a year and a half. And that was, we're going to go into these plants with no notice or with short notice. And, uh, you know, See what we find then. And boy, I mean, once they started doing that, then they discovered the plants were even, for example, sterile manufacturing plants were doing things like faking all of their microbial testing data, which they have to take, you know, it's like samples of the air, the surfaces, the water to ensure that the, there's no microbial contamination, that the plants are sterile. They're faking those. Uh, And they're faking those because it is more expensive and slower to be compliant with good manufacturing practices, you know, and to actually run all those systems properly. So, you know, you would think the FDA has discovered all this stuff, so they would want to make unannounced inspections the standard for the entire world. uh, But they discontinued that experiment and went back to pre-announced inspections. And that is something that since my book came out, Congress is now examining.
0: Great, because you I mean, you make the point very well in the book that they are applying deliberately uh, different rules for medicines that they're providing to the U.S. and to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Some sort of shocking quotes in there about, you know, um, why they care or don't care about, for example, AIDS drugs going to Africa.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so they are making choices to try to look good to America, but worrying less about looking good to other parts of the world. Um, but even within the looking good, they're, you know, they're failing or they're deliberately hiding the the, the problems of, of making good drugs.
1: Right. So, you know, one of the things that I exposed is the, the manufacturing standard that they're using is essentially whatever they can get away with. They're adjusting the quality of their drugs to account for the vigilance of regulators. And in the drugs that they're sending to what are called ROW markets, rest of world markets, Africa, Southeast Asia, um, they're sending their absolutely worst drugs And they're sending their less bad drugs to the U.S. and Europe. But even in those instances, uh, there are a ton of data and, you know, other manufacturing violations.
0: Yeah, because what they can get away with is not being checked when it gets to the U.S. So the the process is the thing that's being examined and that's being in. Right. So um, maybe just a a quick primer for me and and everyone on, you know, the the idea of the process being the medicine. So, you know, within a a, a process of making a medicine, you've talked about reverse engineering. So they're kind of Mm -hmm. guessing how you get to the final, you know, version of the drug that they're providing. Um, uh, We need to think about, you know, things like, Tablet size, tablet appearance, tablet stability—you know, all—all all, you know—whether it delivers a steady dose, all—all all of those things. Um, clearly, an enormous amount goes into making a medicine that isn't just about having an interesting molecule. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, was was that was that a surprise? You know, for you or for any of the folks involved, is that there's so many places that this can go wrong.
1: Oh, absolutely. and and basically, it seems to me a sort of cardinal rule of manufacturing that if something can go wrong, it will. Um, and that is why I mean, I guess two things really struck me in learning about how you manufacture a safe and effective drug. And one is that this sort of cornerstone of good manufacturing practices is the data. Um, because the process is the product. you can't, ensure uh, safety and effectiveness just at the end of your manufacturing run by testing the drugs. That doesn't tell you enough. Uh, And you can't test every drug. So the process by which the drug is made is what is policed. Um, And that process is made up of data at every step. So if there's a problem, you're going back over that data, and you're looking at what happened right? And 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 manufacturing plants are expected to investigate themselves. They have to go back over that data if there's anything wrong. And all of this has to be transparently disclosed, right? So no. what you're seeing in these plants that are resorting to fraud is that uh, is a perversion of that whole process, right? They have an end that they want to get to, which is the drugs are deemed saleable. They're safe, they're cool, they're saleable. Um, and what they're doing is manipulating the data at almost every step in order to get to that desired end. And they're concealing that manipulation from regulators. And so, you know, this there's this vast fraud that is taking place in order to do that, Uh it really was a big eye-opener to me.
0: Yeah. And some of that testing that was getting done was clearly being done on patients. I mean, you mentioned, you know, several physicians that were, you know, concerned about the differences that they saw when people switched from branded to generic or from Mm -hmm. generic back to branded. And clearly some people died and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, risks were being taken with, you know, immunosuppressives Mm -hmm. for transplants and they were being taken with heparin and uh, I, I guess the scale and the, you know, the, the widespread nature of it, that was shocking to me. And getting drugs into patients to find out whether they were uh, good or not to raise yeah. the flag.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, so I describe um, doctors, a cardiologist at the Cleveland Clinic who were treating uh, transplant patients and became extremely concerned because heart transplant patients who were being switched at their pharmacies to a generic uh, immunosuppressant, which had been manufactured in India, were actually suffering organ rejection. So there's no question that this is a life or death issue.
0: Yeah, and, and that is part of the surprise which is because you might think these are slightly not as good but you, you pull out a, a quote about um you know you collect 36 samples of generic Lipitor from 15 countries 33 of those 36 had impurity levels high enough to render them inf- ineffective right right you know th- those are shocking numbers it's not sl- not nearly okay but it's a long you know a long way from okay um, so the drama of that is, is 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 quite shocking.
1: You know what's really interesting about that. So when you manufacture a drug, and you're trying to rid the drug of impurities, mm-hmm. right? And the more you go through manufacturing steps to rid the drug of impurities at the end, the less drug you have to sell. Mm-hmm. So you know there are shortcuts that are that are being taken to essentially minimize the amount of testing that's gonna expose the impurities and basically conclude that the drug is okay to sell. But but the result of it, you know, is that in the hands of an unscrupulous company, that drug is potentially toxic. And not just potentially toxic, but also ineffective. So there's really a lot of dangers uh, you know, that need to be accounted for in policing these companies.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, again, so our assumption, you know, that generics are the same as branded medicines, which you clearly uh, show is false. Mm -hmm. The idea that the FDA is there to protect U.S. consumers from this uh, bad stuff you also reveal is a, you know, perhaps or occasional, but in many cases, they're downgrading risks or, you know, shortages of medicines lead to them having a different view um, about whether these products are good enough or not. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned earlier, that the FDA was overwhelmed. Uh, Do do you believe it remains overwhelmed in, in reviewing, you know, the US drug supply?
1: I think it absolutely is. I mean, you know, the the FDA has more plants to inspect overseas than it does within the U.S. Um, it's, you know, under-resourced, understaffed, and it's got this giant global mission that it was essentially unprepared for. And it hasn't really meaningfully overhauled its inspectional system in years. You know, so you've got a a review system that is sort of held together by toothpicks uh, and, you know, a whole world of potentially bad actors out there making our drugs. I mean, just as a, you know, in a rather dramatic flourish, um, the former CEO of uh, Ren which was at one point India's largest drug company, was just arrested for fraud. last week in India. Uh, And it's a fraud that uh, ended up sort of emanating from uh, the data manipulation at Rambaxi, in in which in 2013, the company ended up pleading guilty to seven felonies in the US related to data manipulation. Um, You know, and the industry contends, oh, well, there's just this one bad company. But in fact, we know that it is much more widespread than that.
0: Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, in a lot of the book, you're discussing Indian companies and and culture and and their and the whistleblowers from within. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because this is recent, because this is um, systemic. Do we think this is a fixable problem for you know the Indian uh, manufacturers, or, and you clearly talk about Chinese uh, companies too? Do, is is it because it's clearly more than just bribery or corruption?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, do we think the India-China problem as described in the book is a is a fixable one?
1: Well, that is a really good question, and I'm not sure that I have an answer to that. I mean, part of the problem with this whole system is that these are countries that have really inadequate regulation, right? There are not good policemen on the ground in those countries ensuring that these companies follow the rules. That leaves us in a countries where we don't have jurisdiction, we don't have authority, we're guests, we're visitors, but we're the ones who have to ensure that these companies follow the rules. Um, you know, so on the face of it, it doesn't seem to work very well. You know, as one FDA investigator said, who whoever thought this system was gonna work to take <laughs> to take these, you know, move the manufacturing of these life-saving drugs that require perfect sterility to countries where they don't have clean water. You know, they don't have regulators on the ground that are doing their jobs. Um, you know, illiterate farmers from the hinterlands are being hired to follow good manufacturing practices in sterile manufacturing plants. How, how is that going to work? And the answer is it doesn't work very well.
0: Yeah. And um, something that I was kind of, you know, as I was reading the book, I thought, well, OK, this can't be a problem that affects you know, the major pharmaceutical companies, and then you told me that it does, because in in the book you talk mm-hmm. about Fresenius, Carby, mm-hmm. you about Pfizer, you know, who are there in country mm-hmm. trying to, you know, regulate the quality of the drugs, and you still talk about information being hidden from them or you know, systemically Maybe you did remind us of an example of uh, of, of, of the Chinese problem that you described.
1: Um, yeah, so um, Pfizer, you know like 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 many plant companies, Pfizer decided that it was going to shift its manufacturing uh, to overseas plants. Uh, and it tied up with um, you know one of China's biggest active ingredient makers. And basically Pfizer's contention was we have all these robust systems to detect fraud. And so, you know, now we're in these plants and everything's going to be fine. And as it turned out, they had no idea what was going on in the plants that they were uh, in partnership with. And uh, in this one plant, uh, this uh, they were the uh, technicians were turning off the audit trails, secretly testing drugs. Um, and then turning back on the audit trails. And once they knew how to manipulate the tests, they'd rerun the tests and the drugs would pass. Um, and in fact, you know, Pfizer had no idea what was going on in its plant until, uh, Peter Baker, this FDA investigator showed up and instead of taking everybody's word for it, he looked inside the computer systems and he found metadata tied to the shutting down of these audit trails. Um, You know, so this is how you have to inspect in, you know, in a computerized global world. You know, don't take anybody's word for it. You have to look inside the computer system. So that's exactly what he did.
0: And and because they're spending time, you know, thinking hard about trying to stop you seeing this stuff. And that's the... You know, when you talk about bad actors, this is, you know, this is not, as you say, mistaken or accidental. This is deliberate and systematic.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, if we're really going to address this problem, we need to recognize that, you know, in a globalized world, not everybody has the best of intentions about making a quality product you know, and that is sort of the assumption that the FDA seems to be operating with. You know, they talk about kind of promoting a culture of compliance. Um, well, that's wonderful, but not everybody is interested in that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that idea that, uh, you would presume that knowing that that the fda would want to tell you and you make the point that you know we're being fooled um not just by those manufacturers but also you know the fda has been unwilling to let us know that's true at the same time
1: right you know and it's interesting because you know now as somebody who has read i think thousands of pages of fda inspection reports you know when you really look at those reports Here you have regulatory documents that are outlining what is essentially criminal fraud, Mm -hmm. right? So its investigators are detecting criminality in these plants. And if you detected that in the U.S., I mean, as one investigator said to me, we'd be we'd be calling a U.S. attorney. They would be serving a search warrant. But but we don't have that authority overseas so essentially we're left to deal with a regulatory problem you know we we deal with it as a regulatory problem um mm-hmm. which is not adequate to what is actually going on in these plants
0: yeah and you know the 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 magnitude of risk is to the individual but you also highlight the kind of magnitude of risk to all of us you talk about um You know, some of the substandard drugs that are being shipped are so substandard or so, you know, low Mm -hmm. dose, for example, that things like drug resistance and uh, other things will come back to, 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 to bite us.
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, if these, you know, some of these big exporting companies are selling substandard and ineffective drugs, in huge part, huge parts of the world. And that in turn is feeding the spread of drug resistant bacteria because all these patients are being underdosed by this problem. Um, So it is really, it is a peril to us all. And though, you know, we obviously need generic drugs, we need affordable medicine. um, They have to be safe and effective. So how are we going to do that?
0: And, you know, the the, uh, the joy of the book was discovering that there are people fighting, <laughs> the good mm-hmm. fight. You know, and some of those mm-hmm. people are as cool as Peter Baker and uh, and Dinesh and, uh, and others. Um, maybe, because I'm aware I could continue talking to you for hours about this, um, you know, in, in, if we were to conclude uh, for, you know, folks in Ethical Farmer, which, you know, is an industry that grew out of you know, man, you know, guaranteeing quality, and that's mm-hmm. why this industry exists. Because it, because it didn't used to exist in that uh, in, in that way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what should we take about take from this book? You know, what do we think our innovative originators should do in response to your book?
1: Well, that is that is a great question. I mean, you know, to some extent, I would say. The problems of price and quality are really interwoven. Um, we have dealt with them as kind of separate things, but the failure to regulate pricing, I think, has forced us into the arms of low-cost providers. You know, and so the question is, how do you, um, how do you? F- come to some common ground on pricing um, in a way that can still that, you know, so that drugs are affordable, but you incentivize quality. Mm. How, how do we do that? I'm not sure I have a great answer, but I certainly, um, you know, see the problem.
0: Yeah, because it raised intriguing questions in my mind. I mean, you know, I think you mentioned Scott Gottlieb, who had, you know, previously called, you know, many of these drugs counterfeits yes, uh, and, and raised the ire of folks for suggesting that, but he's more right in that word than, than you know, than p- potentially using the word generics for, uh, for, for, for some of what's being provided.
1: Well, that's right. You know, and, and I think that, um, you know, the FDA is, in my view, not being straight with the American public about what the real risks here are. And in fact, you know, so each time there is a crisis like the contaminants in the valsartan, it's treated like a new problem. But it's really part of a larger problem about there being no incentive for quality in a drug supply in which we are driving to the lowest price uh, because we have an hunt we have unregulated prices on the brand side um so it's you know we're going to keep on having these quality crises until we can figure out a better system
0: yeah and then and i think you have that quote in the book the landscape is such that there are no incentives for quality yeah when you're playing by the rules you just cannot survive right what a sentence that is it because uh, mm-hmm. i think when you you know if you get your good rx app out and you look at uh you know i can get my branded medicine here or i can get a generic there mm-hmm. it feels like someone is just gouging by charging you for the branded medicine but you know any read of this book would make you think well i know what i'm getting here i don't mm-hmm. know what i'm getting here. um
1: mm-hmm.
0: so it's not it's not a straightforward easy comparison to, 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 to make between those two things. So, you know, I am genuinely, um, you know, still scratching my head about how, you know, the innovators and the originators should respond to the book. But I, I mean, first of all, I think they should all be reading it <laughs> just, just, just Thank to you. A, just just to get a handle on that. Um, so I, I definitely want to congratulate you for uh, for those 10 years. Um Uh, uh, It has to lead to something better um, because it's opened. I know it's opened a lot of people's eyes to the, you know, the scale and the, I guess, the direction of the problem. Um,
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate that.
0: No, but thank you for taking the time. And I guess the the last thing just before I sign off, is there anything that you wish that I had asked you um, so, so that I don't miss the most interesting thing?
1: No, I think your, your questions were excellent and really cover it, except to say that, you know, um, the book tells a story, uh, as you've pointed out, of heroes and villains in this space. And, you know, sometimes maybe uh, storytelling uh, can accomplish uh, something more than just, uh, you know, a dry recitation of facts. So yeah. uh, that is my hope. You know that this book will have an impact.
0: Well, and, um, and I will you know just echo that for anyone that hasn't had a chance to read it yet. You know this could have been a dry textbook on on the generic drug industry. It's not. It's a kind of who done it uh, kind of <laughs> you know romp through. I mean threats to the individual. <laughs> it's unbelievable stuff. Um, and to say if, if it had been in the 1930s or 40s you know we'd at least have had the benefit of distance to to, to, to kind mm-hmm. of reduce the shock it, it, it has all of the shock um, uh, that it did it, it need so you know again my congratulations Catherine for your work and uh, and I hope there'll be more I hope that um, this isn't the end if um, if people want to know more after reading the book are there, you know how will how will they find you
1: Absolutely. So um, they can contact me through my website, which is Kathrineban.com. Uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter uh, uh, at Katherine Eban. Uh, so I urge people to reach out.
0: Fantastic. I know they will. Um, okay. Thank you for thank you for your work and, and thanks for taking the time to talk to me.
1: Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you, Catherine.